when you think about this perception of leadership, people want to be in leadership because they want to wield things over other people and they want, it really is an idolatry. It's like, I would like to be Lord over these people and these things, uh, but really I have one Lord yeah. and he is Jesus. I'm submitted to him and I'm supposed to carry out and sacrifice and actually to the point of death and give my life. That's the only true leadership to model the one true leader, which is Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to God is a Dad podcast, the show where three couples get together and talk about how God parents us and then how that should affect how we parent our kids. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Chris Cerullo from Man on Mission podcast, a show where he invites leaders from all walks of life to discuss what leadership looks like in God's kingdom. And I wanted to have him on today so we could particularly discuss what leadership looks like in the family, because I've just been feeling that personally, as I'm trying to lead my family, a lot of what I think is the right way to lead has been largely affected by culture and maybe not by God's definition of what good leadership looks like. So I want to bring him in, get his thoughts, and it was a pretty good conversation. He had some really, really cool stuff to say. So hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the concept for your show, right, is that you interview lots of men. Uh, I don't think all are all of them dads, or are are some of them just business guys and leaders and culture and communities? No, um, they they are all Christian married men, fathers, you know, doing unique things. So, and and that's really done intentionally because I want the perspective of fatherhood, mm. marriage, that kind of stuff to kind of bleed out into the conversations we have. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, so yeah. I mean, can you just give me then? A little snapshot of, I'm just curious, since you started doing this podcast and you started having all these types of conversations, I'd like to know personally, what are some of the the key nuggets that you've learned from talking to lots of different guys who are kind of doing life well, doing family well, and doing a great job leading within different contexts? I'm assuming there's a lot of common principles that you can learn from. And I'd like to learn from all, uh, all those hours of conversations you've had. I think there's one significant thing that I've been chewing on from all these different episodes and I think that really is this idea of sacrifice when it comes to being a dad, being a husband, um, being a leader in general. My uh, my past is military focused, and what they teach you as a leader in the military is like leaders eat last, right? You're you're heading into food, like you're the last person to eat, you're the last person to go to bed. There's this essential idea of sacrifice of putting yourself um, last as a leader, and and I think that's really biblical. You know, we look at Jesus and his call to us that uh, take up your cross, right? Um, be willing to be the least in order to be the greatest. That's really been just kind of settling in my heart. That's a really important topic to kind of double down on when, when we think about fatherhood, marriage, the concept of like that leadership shell, if you will, right? Yeah, for sure. I, that's interesting. I didn't know that, that was the case in the military because the military does not seem to me like a servant leadership type of institution. That's not, that's not the impression I have. No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. That it's like anybody who has rank on you, you listen to them, you shut up, you don't, you know, there's not a lot of, I guess, freedom for like subordinates and there's not a lot of empowering. And, and maybe that's not true. That's just, obviously that's the movie impression. I have no military experience. Um, yeah. But so officers actually do that. Like in the, in the mess halls, they actually are the last ones to get the food, huh? Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's, I think it's good willed, <laughs> you know, I think it's missing the heart and the soul of obviously like kind of the origin of that, that sure. type of mentality, which is, you know, Christ centered and biblical, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it surprisingly is such. 
Are there other ways that like self serving leadership manifest themselves in the military? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the simplest ways is like, let's say, you know, I was an army ranger. Let's say we're out on a mission and we're now, um, we just conducted a, you know, direct action night raid. We basically entered and cleared a building in the middle of the night, pulled out bad guys. And we're like, you know, two hours in, we're ready for the choppers to come pick us up. We're, we're waiting for, um, you know, our Chinooks to drop in and, and let us run on and take off. And we're in the middle of a, a landing strip, right? Where these helicopters, are, they, they have a clear area to land and then everyone's going to run on, right? Well, the leader is always going to be on the, the the last portion. He's there waiting and he's counting heads, right? So if anything were to happen, he's the last person to get on uh, into the safety of these, you know, helicopters, right? Uh, sure. There's just little nuances like that throughout everything that kind of puts the leader in the lowest position, if you will, oftentimes, or uh. the greatest risk or, but like you said, there's still, you know, very much hierarchy. There's, uh, you know, obedience by law. <laughs> like <laughs> one thing I learned the hard way right. getting out of the military is that people don't have to listen to me anymore. I actually have to learn leadership <laughs> skills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, there's a little bit of that kind of blood into everything. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's the reason I, w- I kind of want to talk to you. And I thought that would be a good conversation is because the passage that I can't get out of right now is Mark 10, where James and John come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, can you let us sit at the right, your, your right and left in, in the kingdom? And he's like, you don't know what you're asking. And he's like, you know, can you drink the blood or can you, I think he says, drink the cup that I can drink. And can you, but can you do the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with or whatever? And they're like, sure we can. And then he's like, no, you still don't get it. Right. Like, yeah. The, the, the leaders and authorities of the Gentiles in your, your time, they, lo- they use their authority to lord it over the people. Like that's what they do. They, they use authority as a way to control people, as a way to, you know, kind of posture themselves as preferred, as prominent in society. And that's what leadership is to them, right? But, you know, then he goes on and he's like, it's not going to be that way with you. You got to be the, the least the least of these, right? You got to be the servant to everyone. And he's like, just because that's what I am, right? I'm, I came to be, ser- or not to be served, but to serve, right? So... I am really curious then to me, I don't, I would don't think of myself as a father. Like we all know that fathers are supposed to be the leaders of their house, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the, we would always say the biblical structure of family. And if I, when I, when I'm applying that verse to my fatherhood, to me as a parent, I would describe myself as a leader. And I would even maybe describe myself as servant leadership, those two combinations. But Jesus doesn't really say like servant leadership. He says, you will be like, you must be the servant of all. Right. Like, and even, you know, in in some translations or some words, people call like the slave of all. And I would not describe my leadership of my family as if I am the slave of all of them. I would guess that, you know, you wouldn't look at like the military guys and and they might eat last and they might do some, you know, have some sacrificial type things. But I I was kind of struck by the extremity of his language, by how extreme he he was putting leadership. Like you must be the slave of all. And then if you want to be the greatest leader, leader, you literally must be the person that is going to always and every single time look not to your own interests, look not to your own passions, look not to your own purposes, but every single time when there is a conflict between your interests or someone else's interests, you will always choose the other person's interest. And I don't know, I guess that's not really how I feel like I have led my family. That's not really how I felt like leadership looks like. Would you, do you feel that way? Or is that, is that something, I mean, you, you were talking about certain leadership, so maybe you're uh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a a constant, um, place I'm trying to die in, you know, is, is my own selfishness and my own, um, elevation of my individual person over 
my family, right? And something that I've been thinking through a lot recently that's kind of encouraged me in this way. I mean, we as a family are always focused on this thing that we would consider a family team, right? Like a multi-generational team. Um, we've always kind of looked at the the family as greater than the individual. Um, but acting that out and actually having that penetrate the decision-making and the mindsets and things like that, that's the, that's the next stage, right? Like it's easy to say, we believe this, but then doing it is really hard. One of the things that that I've been thinking through recently was something that was kind of highlighted and defined by Bruce Molina, who's like a, I believe he's a psychologist, uh, but it's this idea of strong group society versus a weak group society. And um, this is the way that he would define it. I'll kind of read this to you because this is, I've just been meditating on this and writing on it and thinking through it. But in a strong group society, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of the group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded into the group and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with group norms and only if the action is in the group's best interest. The group has priority over the individual member. You actually look at this, and, and this is basically all cultures across the world, except for late modern Europeans, you and I. Uh, late modern Europeans, uh, over the last mm, basically 250 years, uh, have been one of the only weak group societies, which is basically defined, simply put, as where the individual has priority over the group. Oh, and so culture today is perpetuating in all of these areas, this idea that I am more important than any other uh, person out there or any other group that I might be a part of, which is so counter to the teaching of Jesus and so counter to the way in which family has been done since the the, the beginning of time. Yep, yep. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that kind of sacrificial love, sacrificial leadership, um, and how that actually even bleeds into kind of forming a strong group society, even even kind of within the nucleus of my family, but but mm-hmm. that being something that can push out and impact other people and their worldview and their thinking uh, mm-hmm. as yeah. well. But I mean, it's like I said, it's something I'm trying to die to daily because I'm a selfish individual. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like for me, the, the difficulty comes in. So like when, when somebody said, when you read a book or when you listen to a podcast or you listen to a sermon and someone's like, men, husbands, fathers, whatever, you need to lead your family. Like when they just say that, when they just say lead your family, the word lead, when I hear that, I think what I'm hearing is a word that is tied up in a lot of cultural, the cultural understanding that I'm a part of that that word comes from, which is what I would describe as, I don't know, like the typical CEO walks in the room and everybody's kind of nervous. Everybody kind of cowers. And basically if like the CEO says something, you do it because your job as an employee or as a subordinate is to serve the whims of the leader. And I would even say, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too, um, whatever. Uh, I'll just say, it. uh, like I, I would say it even, it even bleeds over sometimes into the way church leaders operate. Right. Uh, where a lot of times yep. like the pastor is, you know, the, the pastor is at the top and it's, you know, it's a pyramid structure and that kind of the staff that, that are under him and then even the congregation are sort of, it seems like in a lot of, a lot of churches that I've observed, at least from the outside, that the attitude of people is like, we're kind of here to serve the pastor's vision, to serve the pastor's goals, uh, 
work that, that they're trying to accomplish as a church kind of, as yeah. opposed to sort of that inverted leadership where, you know, I think the idea would be that the pastor is like the greatest servant of everyone. Right. And he takes the low, the lowest position and, and is there to, you know, fully in every single way, serve his congregation in whatever way is best for them. Right. As opposed to a lot of times the, the, the what pastors end up doing a lot of times is asking their congregation to serve the church and the vision of the church. And that's, that's good. And I understand there's like a balance there, but I'm just saying, I think that the cultural understanding that, that we have in, like you're saying, you said modern Europeans is the one where the leader is essentially requiring other people to serve their interests because they have a vision and hopefully their vision is for the good of people. Right. And hopefully it's like a good purpose and a good mission that, that the pastors or CEOs are on. But then the structure of the organization is such that I have the vision. I know I have the purpose. I make the decisions and I will kind of assign you to fulfill that purpose and that vision. When I look at that, I'm wondering if that's different than what Jesus is saying. Do you feel like that's different or do you feel like there's, there's some, how much validity is, is there to that kind of a leadership approach or structure? I would say, <laughs> I would say very little validity that, to that leadership structure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, I, I think, um, I think that's, that's so like knit into the Western American culture that, um, I mean, if we go back to Genesis, Genesis 2.15, uh, God places man in the garden to work it and to watch over it, right? This is the first job and responsibility given. Um, Adam was already, by way of this storyline of, of Genesis, given the um, leadership role over the family, right? Like there's Eve oh, bites the fruit and the first thing that God does is address Adam and say, what have you done? Mm. And so he's already assigning kind of responsibility to the both good and bad that happens within like the the marriage relationship, the family relationship to the to the man. Like you're responsible. You you need to be a leader. You're supposed to be sacrificing. You're supposed to be doing these things. But what he says when he when he makes Adam gives him the responsibility of watching over and working the land is he says, "Wow, it's actually not good." for him to be alone. Let me make a helper that is suitable for him, that is fit for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that word helper is used 16 times in the Old Testament, all of which are actually used in reference to the way that God provided for Israel in a delivering and supporting type of help, mm-hmm. right? Only once was it used for humans, and it was the relationship between Eve or first woman, because she hadn't been called Eve yet, and man. And his deficiency purposefully put in because God created him in that way. Right. And so right, right. what I think that highlights for us is this reality that usually, well, not usually always, there's going to be a family mission that requires all of the parties within the family to be involved in order to execute that mission. Otherwise they would have no purpose. They would not have been created. Hmm. When I think about it from that perspective, I think of there is no, if you look from the the nuclear family level, or you look at the church level, like you're talking about, there really is no singular um, visionary or leader who everyone else is supposed to bow to that particular direction or focus or leadership or, or vision or whatever, apart from Jesus himself. Yeah, well, man, that's cool. I mean, I feel like too, you know, just bringing up Adam and Eve you know, our culture has such a problem these days with the whole like wives submit to your husbands and women being the, I don't know, the, the weaker sex or whatever, whatever people talk, I don't know, talk about. But when I read that and when I've been thinking about it, I'm like, man, this should be, if the choice is you are 
sub, you know, submissive and, and like the helper or the follower, or you are the leader and you have to become the slave of everybody that you're leading. Then to me, it's like, actually, you know, the, the authority structure sort of seems to almost shift. Like to be the leader means to be the person who is honestly, like, it feels to me like the ma, the mothers, the children who are being led by their father should actually be being mostly served by their father, which means that actually the interests of the wife, mother, and children kind of take precedence. Like they actually, in some ways are the ones that are driving the service of the, of the father, because that's what slaves do, right? Like slaves, slaves and servants basically are there to push forward what the masters kind of want. If I read it that way, it, I don't know, it just makes me really want to in the future, whenever I'm, if I'm ever trying to pursue leadership to, I really count the cost, I guess. Because to me, the question I feel like I'm asking myself most of the times is like, do I want more power? Do I want more authority? Do I want more influence? Do I want more fame? Maybe even money, recognition? Those are the things that are tied to leadership. And it's like, well, yeah, if that's the question, then of course I want all of those things. <laughs> but if the, if the question actually is, do you want to always be required, be put in this position where everything that other people want around you that you're leading takes the position over yours in terms of priority? Do you want to do that for the rest of your life with this family? That's just like a totally different question to me. And I feel like personally that could, that would help like a lot of the more progressive mindset who struggle with the quote unquote, you know, biblical leadership structure where it's like, you know, God over man, then, then wife, then children. Like a lot of people have problems with that. And if we just flip the whole thing upside down, which is, I think what basically what Jesus is saying, I feel like most more people would be okay with it and would understand actually the beauty in leaders pay the price more than anybody else. And that's why. I don't know. Is is it better to be a leader or is it not? It's kind of like in our culture, it's like definitely better to be the leader, but I'm not sure according to God, it's like, it's not really better or worse. It it just costs more. I think if you're the leader. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, as we think about that story with Eve, right? Like that Adam was the first one addressed, right? So there was clear like responsibility and like the consequence was going to first and foremost fall on him for decisions that were made uh, within his, the family, right? And then like the same thing, you you look later in the epistles, you know, Paul talks about obey your leaders and, and do it with like a cheerful heart or, or, or whatever, because they're going to have to give an account for you. Mm. Yep. When we think about this perception of leadership, people want, people want to be in leadership because they want to wield things over other people and they want to, they they, it really is an idolatry. It's like, I would like to be Lord over these mm-hmm. people and these things, but really I have one Lord yep. and he is Jesus. I'm submitted to him and I'm supposed to carry out and sacrifice and actually to the point of death and give my life. Now, again, I said earlier, I'm, I'm super selfish, so I'm still wrestling through this every day, but that really is, I think that's the only true leadership is to model the one true leader, which is Jesus Christ and, and yeah. follow his way. Right. So I was going to say like, do you, do you have practical ways that you like wrestle through that as you're, you know, leading your wife and your kids and like, as you have to put some of this stuff to death, like, right. Well, I mean the que- yeah, the question that I'm having and the thing that I'm trying to wonder about is if sometimes my g- generic approach, my traditional approach to parenting and leading and being a dad looks a lot like teaching. It looks a lot like giving direction. It looks a lot like telling my children what is true and what they need to do. Because I think that's a lot of times what, when I see in culture, that's what leaders do. They address people, they speak, and they 
they basically are saying, this is how things are in our company, in our church, on our sports team, whatever I'm leading. And then they give orders and they tell people what to do, directing their growth. And, you know, teaching and direction is obviously, it's a valid, that's a valid expression of leadership at times. But when I read that description in that passage, and I think about being a slave of all or a servant to everyone, I'm wondering if I do that way too much in my, <laughs> in my parenthood. So I, a, a dumb example is we're driving around a lot this summer, back and forth from grandma and grandpa, grandparents' house. And my middle son, Cameron, is pr- like pretty strong-willed. He wants, some, he wants stuff and he will whine and whine and whine until he gets it. And he's really kind of belligerent, I guess you could say. So we're driving in the car and he wants, he's bored, right? We've, we're driving a lot. It's like, you know, we're two and a half hours into a three-hour drive. And he like really wants to be there. And he's like, we let's get there right now. We need to be there. I'm done. I'm done driving. Right. And my initial reaction was to say, okay, as the leader, I'm going to handle the situation. Like I know whining and crying is not great. I know that, you know, he needs to learn to work through his emotions and be at peace and be calm and that kind of stuff. So my initial approach was, was I was thinking, well, I'll just like talk to him and try to teach him, tell him that he needs to calm down, that he needs to just wait because as a parent, that's what I want, right? That's like, <laughs> I want you to be calm. I want you to wait. Like, that's what we're doing. And so I'm going to direct you into that, that type of behavior that I would like you to be, <laughs> which, you know, I don't think I would have necessarily looked at myself previously and thought that's, that's bad parenting. Like, that's just how you handle it. Right. But instead, because I've been thinking through this, I was like, Hmm, okay. My son wants something. And I don't think it's that unreasonable that he's four years old and super bored in the car and our iPads were dead and he had nothing to do. And he was tired of the car. I'm like, you're four. That seems reasonable. And so instead of trying to direct him into behavior that I thought was appropriate, because I was, I've been thinking about the servant thing. I was like, okay, can I think of a a more creative solution to, you know, help him be happy for the next 30 minutes? Because that's really what he wants. That's what his, his heart wants. He wants to be engaged or whatever. And I know that he also kind of likes to, to lead things and to be in charge of things and to, I don't know, he likes to give directions. <laughs> he, he really does. And so I was like, Oh, you know what, Cameron, I have an idea. How about this for the rest of the ride? I'll give you the map and you can like be the guy with the map that kind of tells mom where to go when she's driving. He was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And he was like super excited about it. So I passed him the map. And then for the rest of the ride, he was as happy as he'd been on the whole ride, even, even happier than he was when he was watching movies on the iPad, because he felt like he was an active part of the family. He felt like he was engaged in the driving. He felt like he was playing a crucial role in our family's travel. And I just would never have thought of that if I thought my role as a leader was to direct people, right? It was to tell them kind of what to do. And for me, that, that is kind of the, I guess the biggest paradigm shift that I'm trying to go through whenever I'm inter- interacting with my kids. I'm so used to seeing behaviors I don't like and directing them out of it and teaching them out of it. And that's valid and it, it really matters sometimes, a lot of times. But I'm trying to look for more opportunities to say, okay, there's a problem. And maybe the path out of this is not for me to direct my child into a place, but maybe it's for me to serve them basically in order to like kind of give them what they want, which feels like bad parenting. And I feel like I've been told that's bad parenting to, to kind of like help your kids get what they want. But when I look at it from a servant perspective, uh, that sort of is changing my, my attitude about it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And I actually don't think it's as much as you may have thought it is giving him what he wants, but what you did as a leader is you gave him what he needs. You, you empowered him to be a part of the process, to be part of the team, to contribute rather than to consume, um, and to exercise what he's gifted at, to, to step into and start to develop and cultivate what. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, directing is not bad. Directing is, is necessary 
to some degree in all forms of leadership, but who's whose mission and whose vision are you perpetuating with that direction? Are you then sacrificing the most uh, in that process? Uh, and are you calling people to involvement and equipping them to, to have an impact? And, and so I think that like as a parent, as a, as a dad, I mean, those are, those are key attributes. It's like, is it empty direction because for the sake of direction and, and being a leader, right? Like leader air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, totally. Yeah, that, that's the money quote to me is, is whose, whose direction are you directing towards kind of? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I just think that like, that's, that's the message that's sort of preached, like, because that's what I feel like the message has been to me is like, as, as a husband, you're supposed to have this grand vision for your life. You're supposed to have this grand vision for your family and you're supposed to direct your family towards that vision and do everything you can to do that and be, you know, be strong, be like dynamic, be aggressive in your direction and kind of unrelenting in your direction of your family towards your vision for your family. And that's what's turning upside down for me is I'm like, well, what if, what if it's my, my wife and my kid's vision that I'm supposed to be directing them towards? What if that's really what servant leadership looks like is actually giving them a lot more ownership in the family. And, th- and th- I feel like that's what you're kind of saying with like the strong community. Would you call it the strong? It's strong group society and weak group society. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting. You know, we start to see um, some things break down with the, the weak group society, right? And and this bleeds into this topic of leadership and 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 especially within the home. But I mean, when you when you emphasize the individual and it's all about dad's pursuit of X, Y, and Z, and we're, hey, here's my vision, or take this even in the church context. You see this all the time. I've been called to do mission work. Well, if your wife is not in agreement with you, and your kids are not being equipped to be part of that process, you're probably not called to do mission work, right? Like I just don't, I don't believe that God will call an individual who is married and has children have Mm -hmm. been a gift from him uh, to do something like that indefinitely alone. I just don't believe that. You know, some of the things that you see when the weak group society kind of takes over is, you know, dads who are distant and uninvolved, kind of apathetic to um, their kids, right? Like they're chasing their dream or they're calling achievements, accolades, work success, whatever, you know, that is. On the flip side, you start to see this bleed into the way that, you know, people see things on social, you and I are both on social media, you know, like, uh, this leads to moms who feel a pressure to have their own thing and to pursue this and to do that. Being a businesswoman, having your own thing is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all, but having a culture that perpetuates this need for someone to do that, um, to pursue the individual thing. And we see society crumbling around us because of stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Well, I uh, I just thought, I want to know what's something that your family, you feel like your family is really good at? And what's something you feel like your family is not really good at? I think our family is really good at engaging with culture. Our kids are just, you know, a blast to most people. Um, you know, like the, for whatever reason, we were blessed with some kids who just like, they're so fun. They have sensitive, tender hearts. They want to engage with people. They want to say hi. They want to go be around people, connect. And, and they're just a blast. I think that's kind of written into the DNA of the family is uh, it's cliche, but um, anytime you're trying to have a positive impact on the world, we, we have to remember that people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. 
And if you don't have the ability to connect with individuals and, and show them that you really do have a heart for them, that you care, the, then what you have to say probably won't get heard and it won't get heard very loudly. In terms of what we're not good at, I think it's the exactly what we've been talking about, the selflessness. Mm. I think we're way better than we used to be. And I think that we're better than most people, but that to me, that's not the, that's not the plumb line, right? Like our, uh, (laughs) we were to grow up into the likeness of Christ. We're supposed to be, uh, you know, or he's supposed to be the first of many brothers. Um, we're not supposed to be, uh, like people that are living the American dream, um, chasing our selfishness and, and calling ourselves Christian because we're saved. Like Christian actually means little Christ. Like we're supposed, we're supposed to look like him. And so, um, I think that's what we oftentimes fail at the most. And, and I really want to improve that. Mm, yep. John 13, John 17, both talk about kind of like the world will know you by the way that you love one another, like church unity. And I think the same thing for the family. It's like, if we can't live selflessly, then, and selflessly in the, like the weird way that people just don't understand, like how does Justin, how does Chris, like, why does he do that? Like, that's so it's, it just doesn't compute. That's what's going to tell people that, Oh, we're different. And, and actually is going to show the Lord to those people. It's going to be the way that we love one another and how we do it sacrificially. There's over 50 one another's in the new Testament outlining how we're supposed to engage with one another as Christians. And I kind of see these in the family too. Like what's interesting is that one third of the commands deal with unity. Uh, One third of them instruct Christians to love one another. 15% of them are about humility and like this attitude of humility, like the other 15% are kind of miscellaneous all over the place. So the three themes are humility, unity, and love. Like <laughs> all the commands are supposed to follow. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally, man. And yeah. I, I wonder if all wrong. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> this is something I've been thinking about a, l- a little bit because I would like as a Christian and I would like Christians as us collectively to be more enjoyable to be around. I guess in, in the culture, and that's something you said you're, you're good at. So let me run this, let me run this by you and see if it makes sense. In John 13, 17, talking about unity and like the way we interact with each other and selflessness being sort of being attractive and being like a light. And I feel like, again, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like sometimes if we focus too much on the question of how do we like share the truth with people or let, help, help people see the truth, sometimes it can make us a little bit less fun to be around because I don't know, like to me, that's one of the least fun, I, I think people find the least, the least fun about Christians is that they feel like there's always some truth that they're trying to convince them of or, or share with them. If you are not into Jesus and someone starts talking to you about Jesus and trying to, you know, share truth with you, I think most people feel like that's a pretty unenjoyable thing to be around. But to me, I, what I heard you say was if we are living the lives that we're, you know, that God's called us to and that all those verses, the, you know, large majority of verses in the scriptures are directing us towards, if we're doing all those things, then to me, if you are a humble person, if you're a loving person, if you're a unified person, and that those are the three things that you're about, you would be massively fun and massively enjoyable to be around. If I show up at any, at any social event, at any party, and that's my attitude, that's my goal. I want to be humble. I want to be loving. And I want to be like build unity wherever I am. Uh, and if I want to be like a servant and actually care about the interests of other people, I think to me, that's like one of the most fun, fun things I can be around. 
if someone is like, I'm all about you, Justin, like, I want to know about you. I want you to talk about yourself. <laughs> I think you're the best, Wh- whatever. Anybody who's like, it makes me feel like I'm the most important person around. Uh, that person's a really fun person for me to be around. <laughs> and so I don't know. I just am thinking that I'm trying to be, you know, the, the brightest light I can be, I suppose, in, in, in the people around me. And I'm wondering sometimes if that, if that looks less like telling people what the truth is and more like being the greatest servant uh, I can be to everybody around me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's both order matters. <laughs> so sure. you hit the nail on the head. I mean that we're supposed to be like that. That's yeah. supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. People are supposed to see something different in a culture that is divisive and things are just like chaotic and there's a lot of hatred and there's polarities all over the place and, and everyone's speaking in imperatives. Like we are supposed to be the fresh light and salt. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at, is it Romans 10? How do they believe if they haven't heard? Blessed are the preachers, basically. Like I'm paraphrasing, but the 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 word that's used there is actually like the same word as herald. So it's literally it's referencing like how are people going to know the good news unless it's being spoken and heralded out? And so there is this balance. It's like you you've got to do life on life. You've got to love people. You've got to eat around a table. You've got to enjoy people for um, the fact that they were created in God's image, the same way that Jesus did. Um, but your experiences with people can't be void of telling the truth about the way the world is, um, which is the Lord. But timing and order is everything. That's <laughs> like, yeah. you don't have a right to to speak into my life if I don't know who you are. Like pride is an issue for all of us, both Christians and non-Christians. So it's like, if I'm going to try to tell someone where their sin is and they don't even know who I am, like that's just going to evoke pride and it's going to cause the opposite impact of what we actually want. Yeah. And I guess that, I mean, I guess that's, it's not really any different than how I feel about my kids either. You know, it's like the truth's really important, but I don't know. I mean, the foundation of relationship and the fun we have together and how much we enjoy each other, that's primary. But then the the teaching, the truth has to be, it's, a, it's also a vital part of, of any, any productive relationship. So yeah, good point. Yeah. If you're never around as a dad and then you try to like coach your kids or yeah. discipline them, like how, yeah. how impactful is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're gonna be like, who's this guy? Like, I don't, I don't know who you are. Mom usually does this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh man. All right, man. Well, uh, yeah, I, I want to let you get back to writing your book. It sounds like you've got some, uh, got some pages to burn through. I've heard it's a really hard thing to do. I've heard it's kind of a nightmare, uh, in some ways, but yeah, the, the process is, is actually quite hard and the signing is supposed to be a long book. <laughs> yeah, right. Supposed be, supposed to be like 60 to 80 pages and it's, yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah. I appreciate that. There's, there's nothing I hate more in life nowadays than a 300 page book that feels like it should be 30. So I appreciate you, you know, <laughs> at the start saying I've got 60 to 80 pages worth of stuff to say, and I'm just going to say it in 60 to 80 pages. I know you probably can't charge as much for your book if it's not thick, but as a reader, I appreciate you not wasting my time uh, with your, with your blank, your book. So that's, that's cool. <laughs> cool. Well, good luck with that, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting. It's fun. Always hope you guys, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. For sure, man. You too. See ya. See ya. That is it for us. Thanks so much for listening. As usual, two things we would love for you to do for us if you wouldn't mind. First one is to help us feel warm and fuzzy inside by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It really does mean a lot personally to us and it helps people find the show. So win-win. Also, as I've said numerous times before, 
please tell your spouse or a friend about our show so that the conversation doesn't stop here. There's only so much you can get out of listening to us talk. Mostly we think, though, the benefit will come if you have these kinds of conversations with the people around you in your life. Lastly, I know last week we promised a Halloween episode this week, but next week is when we're actually going to release that. We know that Halloween's a topic that Christians are all over the map on, so it should be an extra fun one. See you then. Have a good one. People don't have to listen to me anymore. Do I want more power, fame, maybe even money, recognition? Of course I want all of those things. (laughs) 